You look good, you sound good. Kids, I'm so glad you're here. I married a school teacher uh, 18 years ago. Lisa was teaching fourth and fifth and sixth grade. And so she's taught me just a little bit about gathering a classroom. So kids, if you're with me, can you go? We can do a little better than that, all right? Kids, here we go. Okay, you ready to hear the word of the Lord, kids? Talk, yes, woo! Any of you enjoying the World Cup? Some of you are like, what's soccer? What is soccer? They call it football somewhere? Yeah, exactly. Man, this World Cup is such a blessing. I'm having fun. I was in Tulsa this last week for Thanksgiving, visiting my family. Yes, Lord. Tulsa, I hear you. Someone just got quickened back there. And I'll tell you just one fun little note. As a dad, I have a 15-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a 10-year-old, and my 15-year-old daughter... This is the first time this happened. It's a 10 hour drive from Tulsa to Colorado Springs and she drove three of the 10 hours. Parents who have done this before, you understand what help is like. My wife was sitting in the front seat, Lillian was driving 10 and two. I was in the back seat sleeping. Lisa was praying in the spirit in the front seat and it was incredible to just receive the blessing of help. Lillian, I love you, good job. Anyway. We have a Bible that we're going to open today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, If you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen, so no worries. But we're in week six of our series here, talking through this book, Paul's Letter to Young Timothy. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you 13 verses out of 1 Timothy chapter 3, the first 13 verses, and then I'll pray, and then we'll jump in. So hear the word of the Lord And I just pray that that we'd be open today. Come, like Dee said, leaning in, paying attention, pressing in, saying, speak, Lord, your servants listening. Hear the word of the Lord. 1 Timothy 3, here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer in the church is to be above reproach and faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, which is a superpower in today's world, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect, full respect, flag that phrase, full respect. And if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. It's a big deal. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders. Reputation with outsiders, flag that phrase in your mind, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect and sincere, not indulging in much wine and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested and then if there's nothing against them, then let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect and not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well, verse 13. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we need you today. 
We did not come here to be entertained. We did not come here to hear a tricky talk. We did not come here because we're bored. We did not come here because we have nothing better to, we came because we believe that you are the God that speaks. We came because we believe in your presence, something happens. We came because we need to hear that great peace be still today in the storm that we're living in. We came because we believe you're the God who is ready to make us your people afresh. And so we say, come Holy Spirit, speak to us, transform us, make us your people. Lord, we pray have your way here today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. amen. Have you ever been involved in something that had no organization, no leadership, no direction, no central figure to bring the thing together, to snap the room to attention. Have you ever been in something that's just sloppy? Have you ever been on a kindergarten field trip? <laughs> yes, God. Bless all of the kindergarten teachers who have to wrangle those cats, you know, just getting people in line. Have you ever been to the DMV at Chapel Hills Mall circum, or circa 2010? Now, I will say the DMV at Research and Union is crushing it these days, led by one of the New Life women here. God bless you for getting us right. Amen. But have you ever been to the DMV uh, circa 2010? Have you ever been to something that needed some leadership? All of our lives are marked by the shaping influence of leadership. Some of you kids here today know the power of good leadership because you love your third grade teacher, Miss Smith, let's call her. And she loves you and she teaches you and there's reading time and you know you gotta sit on the little rug in the morning and you go to your, you know, your locker at this time. And you, like you know the power of a great teacher. Some of you have had great coaches in your lifetime. A basketball coach, a track coach, a, a football coach, a volleyball coach, whatever. Someone who has encouraged you and challenged you and disciplined you and, and made you better. Helped you stand up on your feet all of our lives have been marked by the shaping influence of leadership, national and state and local politicians. We understand that leadership matters. And Paul understands that leadership matters too. So he's talking to the leaders in the church first, and then he calls the church to become something. Paul wants us to rise up into a way of being. All of our lives are marked by leadership and Jesus is not afraid of leadership either. Very often we think Jesus is this sort of free-floating, enigmatic spiritual teacher who just sort of gallivants through Galilee and he's doing his thing, but he's, he's kind of anti-institutional. He's kind of outside of the realm of, of authority and leadership. Jesus doesn't care about leadership. I'll say Jesus appointed dozens of leaders and he trained them. Imagine being taught face-to-face -face by the Son of God who is all wisdom in bodily form, who is the one who was and is and is to come and who has taken an interest in you and has called you to his table and said, come and follow me, leave your life that you've known and I'll show you how to be fishers of people. Jesus appointed dozens of leaders and look what he did. Their work included instructing, 
He trained them to instruct and preach and praying for the sick. They were receiving alms to distribute to the poor. They were adjudicating disputes. They were dealing with accusations and helping people trapped in sin. They were listening to people's lives and journeying with folks in despair. These leaders that Jesus appointed were shepherding the saints towards safe pasture and they were welcoming the outsider into the family of God. Paul understands that leadership is important And so what does he ache for? What does he ask for? What does he pray for? What does he hope for with with regard to leadership? The first is he talks to a group that he calls the episkopos. This is the Greek word, the episkopos. These are the the, the bishops. These are the overseers. These are the the senior pastors, the leaders who are kind of overseeing at a 35,000 foot view the, the life of the people of God. And he says to those leaders, I want you to live above reproach. I want you to have a clean life. I want you to not use these people for your own good, but I want you to lay down your life and serve these people so that they can rise into their strength. He speaks first to the episcopos, the the elders, the bishops, the overseers, but then he talks to the diakonos. This is the other Greek word, the, the deacons. He talks to the people who are the ones who oversee the day-to-day life of the people of God. The deacons in that day would have have, uh, helped worship with the people. They would have done pastoral care. They would have gone into their homes and they would have visited the hospitals and prayed for the sick. They would have taken the church resources, the offerings, the tithes that were given, and they would have distributed those to the poor as they had need. They would have overseen the benevolence fund. You've got the, the leaders and you've got the deacons who are leading the people on a day-to-day basis, and he says to them one really important word. Here's what I want you to be, and church, here's what I want you to see today that Paul puts in front of them. He says, I want you to be semnos. That's the Greek word. Semnos is the word that we translate dignified. I want you to be dignified. And this Greek word semnos means a manner or mode of behavior or a way of being that indicates one is sane, solid, stately, and worthy of special respect. I just think the gift of sanity in the world that we live in today is just like, Lord, give us more sanity. Give us more saints that are semnos, that are dignified. Have you ever been around a dignified person? They just walk into the room and the entire atmosphere changes. Have you ever been around a a semnos person in a hospital room where everyone's freaking out because something just happened that no one was expecting and everyone's scared and you're starting to sort of hum at at this fever pitch and all of a sudden someone walks into the room and there is a peace be still. They are dignified, they're sane, they're stately, they're solid, they're worthy of special respect. Paul says, I want you to be like that. A a dignified person or an elder, a deacon is someone whose life is worth emulating. Paul says, I'm praying that your episkopos and your diakonos, your your leaders, your elders, your overseers, your bishops, and your pastors on on the ground with the people, that you would live with this kind of dignity and sanity and holiness and, and, and purity of heart. But here's the mistake that we make in a moment like this. We read a text like this and we assume that this text is just for church leadership. Yep, yep. 
give us another Moses. We need another Moses. We need someone to rise up and thank God for Moses who's willing to climb Mount Sinai and go do the hard work of looking God face to, we need another Desmond Tutu and we need another Mother Teresa and, and give us some more Pastor Brady boys and Lord, we, Lord give us those people, those sort of high moments in, in human history who will call us to be something and will tell us what God is saying and, and, and that would be a mistake if we, if we read the text this way as if it is just for church leadership because Paul toward the end of this letter he gives us his statement of his thesis statement. This is why I'm writing this entire letter to you, Timothy, and to the church. He says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that, here's his thesis. If I delay, you may know, all of you, the church, you may know how to conduct yourself in the household of God. He's talking to the church. He's not talking to a couple elders. He's not talking to a couple senior pastors. He's not talking to a couple deacons. He's not talking to the paid professionals and then saying everyone else just tithe and keep the lights on at the church. That's not what Paul is doing here. He's saying, I want all of you, if I can't come to you and look you face to face, I want all of you to know how you might become the people of God and rise up into that kind of dignified state that all of you would be the semnos people and this goes back to the beginning of our story. Because before we get Exodus chapter 20, which are the 10 commandments, Moses goes up face to face on Mount Sinai and speaks with God as a man speaks with his friend and he comes down and his face is so bright, they have to put a veil on it. We, we pick up the story at Exodus 20, but you've gotta know what Exodus 19 says. God says to Moses on the mountain, and unto me, you, all of you, this is plural language, Unto me, Moses, you all shall be a, go ahead and talk to me today, church. You all shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is corporate language. This is national language. He, he doesn't say, Moses, hey, you're a big dog and the hand of the Lord has been on you and I need you to do all the heavy lifting and go tell all those stupid people. He doesn't say that. He says, Moses, you're up here and I want you to go down and tell them that from the very beginning, my desire has been to have a kingdom of priests and priestesses and a holy nation, all of you rising up into that semnos dignity, rising up into that sanity and solidity and, and, and imaging me forth to the world. Moses, I want a people. This isn't just for a special few leaders in the church. This is for everyone. I'll say it this way. God isn't sending a few leaders that can make up for everyone else's madness. He's sending leaders that can call the rest of us into wholeness. He's not saying, hey, a couple of you go do the heavy lifting and everyone else is just kind of second-class citizen and go do your job Monday to Friday and that's fine and just wait till, till I come back and make it all new. He said, no. I'm going to send you a few people, some episkopos and some diakonos and some people who have spent time in my presence, but it's not so that they can spend time in my presence and you can mail it in. I'm going to send people who know what a holy life looks like and I'll send them to you and they will be a provocation to you for all of you to rise up into that dignity, into that wholeness, into that sanity. Can you say amen today, church? God isn't sending a few leaders to make up for everyone else's madness. He's calling the rest of us to wholeness, to become a, a congregation full of dignified saints, solid, stately, 
sane and worthy of full respect. So I wanna ask the question today, if this is the call, what actually happens when we become a congregation of dignified saints? Is there, a, is there tangible, measurable result? Is, is there an end game to all of this? If we've been called to be the dignified Semnos people, what happens when we actually live this way? The first thing, I'll say two things, I'll tell you a story, we'll pray and we'll go eat lunch, okay? You with me? Two things, story, pray, lunch, cool? What happens when we live this way? The first thing is a place is preserved for the presence of God. When a congregation comes together and understands that it's not a couple Moses figures that climb the mountain and all of us are just mailing it in, but it's actually all of us who've been called to climb the mountain of God. When we come together and we live this way, a place on planet earth is preserved for the presence of God. It's a pocket of his holiness. It's a, it's a hub. It's a headquarters where his great work can be done in the earth. And, and Paul says to Timothy, he says, I hope to come to you soon. You've seen this, but skip down to the end. He says, I'll come to you and, and, and to the household of God, which is the church. The Greek word there is the ekklesia. Can you say ekklesia? He says, which is the church, the ecclesia of the living God. This is the gathering. The, the ecclesia, the word there means the gathering place or the assembly or the hub of all the activity. You see the church in every city, there's churches all over Colorado Springs. And what's happening on Sunday morning right now? As we're here, what are we doing? What we're doing is we're saying that Monday through Saturday took it out of us. Monday through Saturday was costly. It was great. There were some high moments, some great moments. We, hopefully you, you, you ate a, a bunch of turkey this week and had that nap on Thursday and watched some football, all, some great moments. But every week, Monday through Saturday, it takes it out of us. And so what do the people of God do? We race back to headquarters. We come back to the house of God and Dee and John and the team, Abby and Katie and the whole crew, they say, come let us worship the Lord. And two, three, four, boom. And something changes in the atmosphere. And then we worship the Lord and we lift our hands and we give of our tithes and offerings. And then we hear the word of the Lord and we repent and we bow our knees in humility and we say, Lord, Monday through Saturday took it out of me, but would you cause my cup to overflow? Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, and on Sunday, Sunday, we rise from this place and we go back into the world and our cup overflows. That's what we're doing every single week. And as we gather as this dignified Semnos, sane people of God in the presence of God, a place is preserved for the presence of God in the world. Some of you in this moment, I can hear the protestations and I've talked to people through the years and, and some of you will say, God is everywhere. God, just, God is everywhere. It just doesn't matter and stop talking about it. We don't need a place. God is everywhere, some will say. Of course he is. Of course he is. But I'll say back to you, the church is the densest concentration of the presence of God in the world. God is everywhere. Go hike the mountains. Go see the colors. Go do your thing. Go celebrate the majesty and the mystery and the beauty of God's creation. We live in the state where people pay to vacation, okay? So enjoy it. Go play. And go, but here's what I'm saying. Don't walk on a hike on Sunday morning. Go out into the trees by yourself and say, I went and had church this morning. No, you did not. You had a hike. You had a hike. That's great. Hikes are great. Go on hikes. Don't call hikes church. 
because no one can lay hands on you on a hike. Mountain lion, maybe, you know? I mean, be careful out there, saints. I mean, it's crazy. Maybe you should come to church. Like, no one, you can't repent to a brother or a sister in Christ on a hike. You can't, there's certain things, like receive the gift of a hike, but don't call it church, and don't miss out on the gift of the gathered assembly, the ecclesia, the saints coming together and learning to bless those that curse us and learning to humble ourselves and pray and learning to empty our pockets and say, Lord, have your way with these resources and bless those who need generosity. What happens when we come into this place is it's the densest concentration God's presence on planet earth. Can I tell you just a story that might help? I was 16 years old and we were on a family road trip. My dad is a road warrior. He can drive, he can drive 48 hours straight. He doesn't drink, he never had a sip of coffee in his life, he just can do it. And so we traveled all over in our big 40 Conaline van, me and my three sisters and my mom and dad. And we did a summer trip, was it six weeks out to the East Coast? We went to 20 states and we were in Philadelphia on July 4th, when I was 16 years old, on the steps where Sylvester Stallone, AKA Rocky, ran up, he, you know, he's training that whole scene. I was on the steps in Philadelphia on July 4th at a Boys to Men concert. Boys to Men, right? Anyone, please tell me that there's at least 20 saints. Hey, I see you, going strong right? Boys to men in their hometown. They are from Philadelphia on the steps of the Capitol where Sylvester Stallone made Rocky. And we are, we are in the third row. There's a million and a half people at this 4th of July concert in their hometown. They're throwing it down. And there were people that were like a mile and a half away from the stage. And we were on the stage. We were on, I, they're sweat drops. I'm watching it. They're making eye contact with me. They're singing, the, you know, all these great songs that I'm 16 years old. And, and, and people who were a mile and a half away will say, yeah, we were at that concert. We were at that concert. We were there that night. And I'll say, I was at that concert. Like I was, I was in it, I, I, was, I was in it, I was experiencing it, it was a moment in time. And I wasn't a mile ahead, like you can go on your hikes and experience the blessing of the God's creation, that's fantastic, but you are out on the edges. When you come into the hub, the ecclesia, the presence of God, when you gather with the saints, when you hear the scriptures, when you bow your knees in the presence of God, you are up against the stage of God's activity in the world and you can go out into the world with the joy of what God has given you. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. When we come to the church, a place is preserved for the presence of God in the world. And in the presence of God, we get our sanity back. Can you say amen today, church? That's the first thing that happens. And please understand the importance of coming into the presence of God together. But there's a second thing that happens. When we Become a a congregation of dignified saints. The second thing that happens is the greater public is provoked toward holiness. The greater public. The world is watching. And I'll just say, church, when we play by the devil's rules, we have no witness in the world. 
When we fight and argue and yell at the darkness and we get all and we try to tell the Jesus truth in the devil's way, we have no authority. We have no witness. The world is watching us and I'll say to you in the coming days, the church will stand out as she simply remains sane. (laughs) The church will stand out as we continue to gather with people who are not like us and that's okay. I don't have to, like the church, here's what the church is not. The church is not a gathering of people who all make the same amount of money. The church is not a gathering of people who are all the same skin color. The church is not a gathering of people who all vote the same way. The church is not a gathering of people who just are in lockstep with each other on every single, that's not what the church is. The church is the people who have been claimed by Jesus. The people who see this one who was crucified on a Friday night and he had done nothing wrong. This is the son of God living a beautiful life, calling us to follow him, calling us to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him and lay ourselves down to wash the feet of the world. We saw Jesus and we saw that that's the truest way. And we saw on Friday night, it ended in a bloody death. And on Saturday, it looked like the story was over, but early Sunday morning, something happened and the ground began to shake. We sang it earlier. And Jesus was raised from the dead and he ascended to the right hand of the Father. We are here not because we all make the same amount of money. We're here not because we all vote the same. We're here because this one who gave his life for the sake of the world has claimed us and called us to give our lives for the sake of the world. And so we gather around the table of the Lord and we go, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. I love you. How can I pray for you? Do you need any money? Do your kids need, what do you need? Can we babysit while you guys go out on a date? We will be for you. When the saints come together, the world goes, what in the world is that? This is what the church is. And this is what we've been called to. And the list that I gave you, it, it kind of sounds sound like a boring list. And don't do this and don't do that. And Why is Paul having a bad day and he's taking it out on us? But I'll just tell you, there's a guy, T.L. Johnson, a scholar, who's paid attention to the scriptures, the, the Christian scriptures, and, and he says fidelity, he's thinking about this list in 1 Timothy 3, fidelity to one spouse, sobriety, and hospitality may seem trivial, may not seem like a big deal, may seem trivial values, virtues to those who identify authentic faith with momentary conversion or a single spasm of heroism, like this list may sound kind of boring to people who want faith to be a party all the time. But to those who have lived a little longer, finding a leader who is truly a lover of peace and not a lover of money can be downright exciting. Church, come on, talk to me. Finding a leader, that, that finding people that are dignified and sane, finding people who aren't trying to use people to make their lives good, but who are willing to bleed so that other people can live, where do you find that in this world? Where do you find that in our political system today? Where do you find that today in, in, in the, like, where do you find it? In the church, Paul says, that ought to be all of you rising up and stepping out into Monday morning with a sanity and with a wholeness. And when we live this way, the watching world is provoked into holiness. Let me tell you a story and then we'll go home. I come from Tulsa, Oklahoma. 22 years there, 17 and a half here in Colorado Springs. And Tulsa is a good place 
to grow up. I, I, man, I love Tulsa. I was just there this week and my in-laws live there and they're just as decent as they come. And they told me this story this week. Guy named John in Tulsa. John is mid 60s, served his country in the military for 26 years, retired honorably. He, he worked really hard. He was deployed three times in the Middle East. He's, he's done it all, he's seen it all, he's lived it all. And here he is at 65. The, 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 the issue with John is that he saw some things that he never should have seen. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have been out on those deployments. And John didn't know what to do with it. And so he came back home with his wife and two adopted sons and having served his nation and having been willing to do whatever it takes to, to honor and to fulfill his role, he came back home and not knowing what to do with it, he, he, he tried to drown it away, to drink it away. He became a raging alcoholic and, and John would come home and, and there were moments where it was safe at the family dinner table and there was life in the home. But, but more often than not, it was a moving target with dad, with husband, with this man, John, who served so honorably but is scary to be around at home. That's what this family was living in. And he drank so much and was, the, the disequilibrium in their home was so, so, so much, it was just too much. The wife sadly had to walk away and the boys and John goes on with his life and he ends up in the rescue mission in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He, it just, he hit rock bottom. And a man who had worked so hard for so many years and had done so many noble things finds himself sleeping on a cot in downtown Tulsa at the rescue mission, and these people are believers, and they go, John, we, we bless you, man. We're not here. To, we love you. We're so sorry for what, and we will walk with you, John. We'll walk with you. You ready to do the hard work? It's going to cost you everything, but we'll walk with you, John. And John, six months into the program, starts getting his feet under him. He's stumbling every once in a while. So, but we, any of you who have walked the journey of recovery, you understand it's two steps forward, one step back. But here he is taking strides and he's making, he's making progress. And at six months, they said, John, now's the time in the program where you go get a job, baby. It's time. He goes, I'm ready. And he's in his early 60s at this point and he gets hired at a furniture store. He's great with people, wonderful conversationalist, knows how to sell. Uh, so he, he goes into this furniture store, learns the craft, and he's selling furniture. The lady that hired him who owns the store is a Christian. One of those like Semnos Christians. Like one of those Christians that you, you can say I'm a Christian and not ruin the story for the rest of us Christians. Not like bumper sticker on the back, but going 85 in a school zone Christian. I'm talking like a Christian. <laughs> Sane, solid, stately, worthy of special respect. And she said, John, I'm with you, man. I know what you're working through. I, 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 I'm with you. Just communicate whatever you need, you tell me. And so John is getting his feet under him. He's learning how to sell furniture. He's doing well. And, and she says one day, John was just deeply lonely. She said, John, I'm not talking to you as your boss now. I'm talking to you as your friend. I think you could use a great church. You don't have to go with me. I'm, listen, I'm not, I'm not twisting your arm. This isn't like your, your job is on the line if you don't, none of that. I'm just telling you, I've been following Jesus for a couple decades and, and I think you would really benefit from a strong church. He said, do you have one? She said, yeah. He goes, well, I'll just go with you. And the next Sunday, 
There she is with Brother John. And John comes in kind of tail between his legs, probably expecting to get pistol whipped with the Bible. Finger wagged at him, oh, condemnation and hellfire. And, no, these are actually decent people. I can see why my boss, who's a decent Christian business owner who's been kind to me, would hang out with these people because these people are decent. And, and these people start getting to know John and John comes back week two and, and says hi. And John comes back week three and goes to the little cafe, the bad coffee out in the lobby. And they sits down with an old codger and talks it up. And, and week four, and my father-in-law, Larry, and my mother-in-law, Linda, in Tulsa, 72 years old, saints, Semnos saints, meet John at their church. And my father-in-law said, hey, tell me about your life, John. And he starts opening up. And Larry said, John, I'm, I'm so sorry, brother. And we will walk with you. I don't know what, you just tell us what we can do and I'll keep asking and I'll try to pay attention. I'm not gonna do it all right, but I'm willing and, I, and I'll be your brother in Christ. And if you, can I get your cell phone number? And John gives it to him and they start texting and John starts getting sick and says to Larry, hey, I think I need to go to the, the doctor. Can you take, he, he's not able to drive at this point. And so Larry says, I'll pick you up on Monday morning. Takes him to the doctor. They do a battery of tests and discover. They say to John, John, you have six months to live. It's time. You, you should prepare, your, get your affairs in order, John. John comes out. There's my father-in-law, Larry. And he gives him the news and Larry hugs him and prays with him. And they just, they go get a, donut on the way home and just talk it up. John, I'll see you at church on Sunday. I'll come get you. And John is getting so sick that he can't go grocery shopping. And Larry and Linda say, you send us what you want and we'll go to Walmart and get your stuff. And they come over to his house and they bring food and they fill up his pantry. And Linda, my mother-in-law says, John, do you have any laundry? You need some laundry done? And uh, kind of embarrassing, but actually I do. Give it to us. We would be honored. Take it home. Nobody folds laundry like my mother-in-law. I mean, just crisp lines. Everything is right. She brings it back to him. Here you go, John. We love you. We'll see you at church. It'll pick you up. Larry's bringing over donuts and bringing over coffee. And John sends him a note one day and says, Larry, I, this is as embarrassing as it gets. I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I need some underwear. Can you go get me some underwear? And Larry goes, well, how big an old boy are you? What size do you need? You know, helps him laugh. Cause you need to laugh when you're 65 and 72 bros buying underwear for each other. Larry goes, I would be honored, John. You send me what you need. And he brings him underwear and they laugh at the house. And, and they, who else is doing this? When we live as the dignified saints, a place is preserved for the presence of God. When we live as the dignified saints, the world goes, you did what? What? You didn't even know the guy six months ago? You're buying him groceries and doing his laundry and buying him underwear and dignify, he's like a part of the family. You don't even make him feel guilty for it. Who does this? 
we do this. And when we do this, the world watches and the world goes, look, I'm not, I don't know where else that's happening. Give me some of that. Friends, this is what we've been called to. And it's not just for a special few. It's not just for those Desmond Tutu figures. It's not just for those Mother Teresa figures. It's not just for those. God wants a nation, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation rising up into dignity, rising up into sanity, rising up into wholeness, rising up into quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And as we do, you look up two decades later and you got a church full of John. You got a church full of people who said, I, I, I wasn't born into that, but somehow I got swept up into the family of God. And so today, church, at 1201 on Sunday, November 27th, I'm calling you to be this kind of dignified Semnos people. Can you say amen today, church? Would you stand with me? As we come to the end of this moment before we worship and receive communion, I want to put this list back in front of you. I want you to take a moment and just say, come Holy Spirit, like Pastor Brady's been teaching us to pray for 15 years. Come Holy Spirit and speak to me and convict me and challenge me and change me and make me more like Jesus. The first item on the list that Paul says we ought to aspire to is be above reproach. Let your name be clean. Let your word be solid, be above reproach. Don't don't live in such a way that people can easily have things against you. Rise above it. If you're married, he says, stay committed to the marriage. Do your best. Stay, do your best. Be sober-minded, he says. Be self-controlled, he says. Be respectable. Worthy of special honor. Worthy of emulating. Worthy of someone at your workplace to go, you know what? I, I don't really know that whole story. But if I looked a little bit like that, I'd be okay. Be that person. Be hospitable, open your home, open your hearts, open your pocketbooks. My, my father-in-law said, I worked all those years so that when I stopped, I could use my time to do what we're doing for John. Play some golf, go on a cruise. You worked hard, enjoy it. Retirement is not so that you gorge yourself on your own story. (laughs) Be hospitable. Open your life to the people around you. See how people are doing. And as you do, the church will be populated with people being called out of darkness and into marvelous light. Don't make me preach. Don't make me preach. Able to teach. I'm going. Able to teach. Not a drunkard. Not violent, but... not a fighter, not quarrelsome, not looking for something to be mad about, not a lover of money, strong in household relationships, well thought of by outsiders. Church right now, can we turn this into a little prayer meeting and say, come Holy Spirit. And I want you to think of the one or two areas where the Lord is just going, this is you, this is you. I wanna do this work. I wanna make you whole. I wanna make you holy. I wanna make you clean here. I want to stand you up in that kind of Semnos dignity, would you just begin to ask the Lord to do this in you? Lord, we pray that you'd make us above reproach. 
We pray that you'd make us faithful in our closest relationships. We pray that you'd make us sober-minded and self-controlled. And Lord, I pray that we would grow up to be old people that are worthy of special respect. Please make us that kind of church. Make us hospitable, we pray, Lord. Able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. Lord, make us this kind of congregation. Church, can you say amen today? What we're gonna do is we're gonna worship the Lord, respond to him with this song. I'll come back up in just a second. We'll receive communion and we'll go. Let's worship the Lord.